0: I didn't set the chairs up good tonight. I feel like, y'all are a long way from each other, and I'm a long way from y'all. That's what I feel like. Huh? Now I feel like I'm in your lap. (laughs) All right. We're going to get in God's Word a little bit. And so if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and... uh, find John chapter 6. Tonight we're still early in our series for this semester we're calling God with us and God for us. God with us and and for us. Um, We're focusing on Christ this semester. Last semester if you were here um, we were in a series called cross culture where yeah we we focused on the gospel every week in fact if you recall um, one of the one of my favorite things about last semester was every week we said together uh a question and answer from the Heidelberg catechism how are you made right with god and uh and and really the answer was a very beautifully crafted rehearsal of the gospel every week but the focus of that series was on really the the particular sins or shortcomings or struggles that we all struggle with so it was you know in a sense it was inward focused and how do we see our struggles through the gospel so i thought we would we would flip the flip the script um this semester and 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 look outward and look look at christ um and and we as we're looking at christ we're framing our thoughts in this way that he is god with us and god for us um and as i've said already but for the sake of some of you who this may be the first time you're here tonight um Thank you for coming if you are. Um, The way we're going to see this and structure this is between now and spring break, week by week, we're going to look at the seven different I am statements of Jesus that he made in the Gospel of John. Uh, And then after spring break, through the end of the semester, look at the seven um, statements that Jesus made while he was on the cross. Um, and, uh, And you can, if you don't know what those are, you can look them up or you can go back and listen to the podcast. From last week by the way um if some of you don't know um if you're new this semester we have a podcast um and um any most most wednesday nights and sunday mornings are on the podcast but also we have a new testament reading challenge we're doing it's it's read a chapter of the new testament each day um and we we started that at the very beginning of the semester it will finish i think the day after graduation i think that's what it is i think there's like if you read a chapter every single day between the first day of class and graduation, you're le- left over with one chapter. So we're doing that, and there's a podcast, there's a short podcast for every chapter. Um, so we were today, I think, on 2 Corinthians 8, so if you're, you can pick up 2 Corinthians 9 tomorrow and, uh, and listen to the podcast. But anyway, tonight we're beginning our look in earnest at the, at the seven I am statements in John. The I am statements, like I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the good shepherd, and so forth. Seven different ones. Um, the last couple of Wednesday nights, we have focused on the significance of that that phrase that Jesus took for himself, I am. Um, whenever, whenever Jesus used that and applied it to himself, because we saw the the first week, I think there's our third CBS. The first week. Uh, We we looked at the old testament roots of that name, I am, and how um we went all the way back to Exodus 3 and the whole story of Moses and the burning bush, and how um I am was the name that God Himself revealed to Moses. When Moses said, when God said, Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go, and Moses says, Well, and when he asked, What what is your God's name? What am I supposed to tell him? And God said, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. And last week we saw several places where Jesus took that name for himself. I mean, just absolutely claiming himself to be God. I mean, not not another God, the very Old Testament God. The very God who was speaking to Moses in the burning bush. That's who Jesus was claiming to be. We saw how here in John 6, in fact, Jesus walked on water and... When his disciples saw him walking on the water and they got afraid, um, Jesus told them not to be afraid. I am. (laughs) I am. I mean, he was saying more than, it's just me, don't be afraid. Because if if it's just him like it would be if it was just me, that doesn't explain why he's walking on the water, right? I mean, he's saying something more than, he's saying, I am. That's why he was walking on the water. We saw last week from John 8, verse 24, Jesus told them, unless you, He told the, the Pharisee, unless you believe that I am, you can't be saved and you will remain in your sins. Um, we, we looked at John 8, 58. Before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones rightly in their minds to stone him to death because they think you've just committed blasphemy because you've called yourself God. Why did they think that? Because he had just said, because before Abraham was, I am. He wasn't just saying, as the Jehovah's Witnesses say, before Abraham was, they translated, I have been. As to say, he's just really, really old. They, they that, That's their, they're trying, Jehovah's Witnesses say, before Abraham was, I have been. That's simply Jesus saying, I'm older than Abraham, for which they would not pick up stones to stone him. They would just say, you are a lunatic, but not worthy of dying. But he was saying more than they were saying, I am. So they stoned him, or they tried to. We saw how in John 18, 5, when uh, the very night he was betrayed, the soldiers came to Jesus to arrest him. And, uh, and, and Jesus said, who are you looking for? They're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Who are you looking for? And they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus literally says, I am. And uh, the soldiers then, the Roman soldiers, drew back and fell to the ground. I mean, our English translations say, I am he, as if he's saying, I'm the guy you're looking for. Um, But that wouldn't explain why they fell to the ground. They fell to the ground for the same reason that Moses was told at the burning bush to take your shoes off the ground is holy because the i am standing there you know we saw those times um, that he said that things like that we saw last week a lot of other new testament evidence that jesus is god um, but there are more statements in john like those that don't just teach us that he is god but that he is god with us and god for us um, what we've seen so far before abraham was i am uh, unless you believe that I am, you are still in your sins. Um, those are what so, are sometimes called the absolute I am statements. He just, he simply and absolutely takes the name of God for himself. But what we're going to look at beginning tonight, leading up to spring break, are what are often called the relative I am statements. The relative I am statements, because Jesus is saying I am, but he's saying I am, and it's relative to some other image that he's giving to us um, for example i am the bread of life it's relative to that i am the light of the world i am the good shepherd and so forth tonight we're gonna think a minute about the first of those we're in john six uh, jesus says twice i am the bread of life so if you found john six in your bible it's not gonna be on the screen the whole thing because i didn't want to make that many slides <laughs> Um, We're going to read, beginning in verse 22 through verse 59. I could have have read longer than that, but we've got to stop somewhere. John 6, beginning in verse 22 through verse 59. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples. By the way, this is just after he walked on the water But because you ate your fill of the loaves, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives, gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. See, they, they see what he's saying. They said, is, this, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they sh- they will all be taught of taught by God everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God he has seen the father truly truly I say to you whoever believes has eternal life I am the bread of life your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die I am the living bread that came down from heaven if anyone eats of this bread he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. All right, let's pray. Father, this is your holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative sufficient clear and necessary word we um, we bow ourselves before it Um, any opinion that we have that comes from ourselves um, is not worthy to rise to who you truly are we only know you insofar as you reveal yourself to us we only know you through what you've told us so we we give ourselves to understand these words we want to see you clearly give us eyes to see give us ears to hear give us minds to understand the truth that's here give us hearts to embrace and love the truth give us wills to obey whatever it leads us to do give me the help that i need to teach and teach clearly guard me from error help me to speak only what is true give us um give us all ears to hear i pray in jesus name amen Okay, here's how I want us to think about what Jesus says here. First, I want to think something about the background, um, the background to what he says here and to the fact that he calls himself multiple times the bread of life or the living bread. And I think the background of this passage is huge. And then secondly, I want to say something about the significance of the imagery that he gives us in that title. I am the bread of life. Just those two things, background and significance. And I think we'll have some time to pray at the end for a bit. So let's say something about the background. There are two things about the background to this passage behind Jesus saying in verses 35 and 48, I am the bread of life, that are important to see. Two things that that are important in the background. The The first thing is important in terms of it tells us something of who he is. The first thing about the background is going to tell us something about who he is. And the second aspect of the background is going to tell us something significant about what he came to do, okay? Who he is, what he came to do, both of which we get from the background. So here's the thing. And to begin to see the first thing about the background, we need to say something about how we read the Gospels. When you pick up your Bible, you need to understand what what kind of passage are you reading. Are you reading one of Paul's letters? Are you reading a psalm? Are you reading an Old Testament narrative? Are you reading... uh, are you reading a gospel? Because each, uh, just as just as anything else you read right now has different rules of reading it, right? You don't read poetry the same way you read the newspaper. You don't read different different genres of of, of literature dictate that you read it in a certain way. And when you read the gospels, you need to know how to read them. In this sense, when you open up one of the gospels and just start reading a, a gospel passage, you randomly drop in on a story, you should not ever just look at that story in isolation from what's around it and the other stories that are around it. okay? Don't just look at one parable. look at what comes before it and what comes after it. Don't just look at one story and look at what look because why? Because the gospel writers, always arranged their stories when they were when john was writing this he was arranging these stories in just this way with a specific intent and purpose behind arranging them this way he had a reason for putting the stories in this and and sometimes it makes a huge impact upon how what what it means for example uh in luke's gospel there, you have that phrase that people ponder all the time where Jesus says, uh, you will, he says to his disciples, you will not taste death until you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. They go, well, Jesus hasn't returned yet. How did he say they're not going to die until they see it? That's not what he was talking about. How do you know? Because the very next passage is the transfiguration where they see his glory. They're very much alive when they see that. The order of the stories tells you what it means. And we see that going on here because we're talking about Jesus claiming to be the bread of life, right? But what is the first story in this chapter in John? What's the first story in John 6? Jesus feeding the 5,000. That's the first story. That's, that's the opening gambit in this, in this uh, chapter, feeding the 5,000. Feeding them what? Bread. fish (laughs) but bread that that's a story that's recorded in all four gospels and where most of the gospel writers call that a miracle a miracle what does john call it a sign john doesn't call them miracles matthew mark and luke do john always calls them signs he says that in in uh verse 14 when the people saw the sign that he had done right and that's important because what he did there according to John by calling it a sign it shows you that what he did there in feeding the 5,000 is not just to amaze you it's to point you somewhere it's to point you to do something that's what signs do and for the original recipients of this letter if that feeding of the 5,000, feeding them bread, miraculously, if that didn't immediately point them to the deity of Jesus all by itself, at the very least, it would have pointed them backwards in their minds to Exodus chapter 16. To Exodus chapter, where God provided manna from heaven every day for 40 years while the people wandered in the desert. Just as, as an aside, two things about manna. Um... When he rained them down, down, it rained it down from heaven. They didn't have any idea what it was, and uh, so they called it manna. You know what manna means in Hebrew? It means what is it? <laughs> That's what manna means. What is it? Um, the second thing about manna just as an aside, e- Exodus sixteen thirty one says the taste of it was like wafers made with honey, and so I'm convinced it was golden grams, unless uh, proven otherwise. God is so good, right? If He rained down golden grams on them for forty years, wow. Um, <laughs> anyway, but the sign of of Jesus multiplying the bread to feed at least five thousand people should have pointed them in their minds that they're Jewish people for crying out loud. And and it says our last verse was Jesus said these things in the synagogue when they're sitting there in the synagogue for crying out loud. They have the scrolls right in front of them. They might have they might, their minds might have gone back to that that event. And it and it seems that it did because they look at the way that uh, look at look at Jesus uh, in verses thirty and thirty one. And they, they, they say they, they they look at Jesus and they say in those verses, Then what sign do you do so that we may see and believe in you? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven, so they're thinking about that man in the wilderness. But they said, "What sign do you do?" He had just done one. Like I suppose somebody, somebody among that five thousand could have like walked up late. You know, uh, Brooks would have walked up late. You know, and like uh, he'd be like, "Where all this bread come from?" I, mean, I don't know. You know, um, but most people. Most people should have recognized if they were there eating that bread and those fish, they had to have realized that something miraculous had just happened. Because who just walks around with enough bread for 5,000 people? Who walks around with that much bread and that much fish? No, nobody does. It came from somewhere, and it, and it came miraculously. Some, that, that's what happened. But it did remind them of the fact that God provided bread from heaven and for the people of Israel after he led them out of Egypt. And that's going to be an important, another piece of background in just a minute. But in looking at Jesus, when they say, what sign do you do? Our father's a manna?" you know, looking at Jesus' answer to their question in verse 32, um, it could have been that they did see that it was miraculous, but they still didn't get it because they did not fully understand Exodus 16. Um, because notice what Jesus says in verse 32. Um, he says truly truly i say to you it was not moses who gave you the bread from heaven but my father who gives you true bread from heaven did they think moses provided that manna well it seems that way he had to tell them it wasn't moses that did it so they could have been they they could have been thinking this way they could have been they could have known that jesus just did something miraculous 5000 people here and they and he he miraculously made bread and fish for everybody. If he had to tell them Moses didn't do that, they could have been thinking this way. So what if you feed us for one day? Moses fed us every day for 40 years. You know, they could have been thinking that way. Jesus corrects them that Moses did not provide that manna from heaven. But even if he did, they all still got hungry again. To which Jesus says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. See, that Old Testament manna in Exodus 16 was just a, an earthly, temporary picture of a heavenly, eternal reality that was coming. That's uh, and, and, and Jesus said, that's me. I am. I am. And in, in, in Jesus, it, it wasn't just another temporary need for uh being provided for that that but rather it was god himself coming for our eternal salvation which gets to the second part of the background that's important here and the first thing being that it 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 should point us back to the old testament manna, which shows us who jesus is he's god bred from heaven the second thing is when did this happen What time of year was this taking place? When was this being said? When was this whole conversation in John 6 taking place? Well, we didn't start this early in the chapter, uh, but look at how the chapter begins in verses 1 through 4. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. There, they'll see the signs. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Um, it was the Passover. This was during the, this was taking place during the feast of the Passover. Um, by the way, um, John records uh, three different Passovers of Jesus' ministry. In John 2, here in John 6, and then John 11, 12, and 13. They're all big events, so just note that. This was during, this is the second Passover of Jesus' ministry. And th- if the first aspect of the background to this story was showing us who Jesus is, this is showing us. this. The fact that it's taking place on the Passover is showing us what he came to do. It's not insignificant that this is happening and that Jesus is saying all of this During the Passover. Because what does the Passover, what did the Passover, does the Passover remember and commemorate? It remembers and commemorates God's miraculous delivery of the people out of slavery in Egypt. They had been slaves for 430 years. And God brought them out with a mighty hand. And it's part of that deliverance in which He provided manna for them in the wilderness after He had brought them out. When Jesus fed the 5,000, And then told them, I am the bread of life. He was not only saying, I am God in your midst. But he was signaling that he had come to accomplish another exodus. Another exodus, a greater deliverance of the people. That's the the significance of this happening in the Passover. The other gospels say the same thing. In the very first chapter of the New Testament when the angel comes and announces to Joseph that Mary is with child, and, and, and what are you going to name him? He says in Matthew 1, she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. How? How will Jesus do that? Through his death on a, on a cross for sinners. When did the crucifixion take place? At Passover. At Passover. And how does, I've told you this before, I know, how does Luke in his gospel describe what was going to happen through the cross of christ during that transfiguration that i've already mentioned during the transfiguration jesus and moses and elijah are all talking to each other had to have been cool and in verse 31 of luke 9 we're told that jesus spoke of his departure which he was about to accomplish at jerusalem and that word translated departure the greek word behind it is exodus Jesus spoke of his exodus that he was about to accomplish. Jesus was about to accomplish another exodus in Jerusalem, where? on the cross, on Passover, when the first one took place. Jesus is saying here that he is the bread of life, bread which would come to symbolize which would come to symbolize uh, in the Lord's Supper, his body that was broken for our sins his life given for ours that's what he's talking about when he's talking about eat my flesh and drink my blood you know he said this on on passover to remind us of a past deliverance of god but he was saying it to point to his death that would take place on the passover and would be a greater deliverance than the first one ever could would be delivered from our sins And from the terrible judgment of the wrath of God. Which is why later in this passage, Jesus applies the truth of that statement in verse 40 by saying, This is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. That's the way he was making. That's the way he was, that's the trail he was blazing through his life and death. But note the urgency behind it. Jesus says in verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Let the weight of that fall on you. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Jesus is talking about ultimate realities. He's talking about eternal things what he's saying right there no one can come to me not no one will come to me no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him that he is saying we cannot put off jesus until we feel like dealing with him because if we did that we might find that we never feel like dealing with Him. We don't put that desire in our hearts. God puts that desire in our hearts. No one can come unless the Father draws. And so I simply say, if you have even the faintest desire for Christ, follow Him with all your heart. That does not come from you. And you can't guarantee it will be there tomorrow. That's all I say about that. The background is rich. It shows us how rich the significance of this first I am statement is. But there's one more thing I want to say quickly about the significance of this statement. And here, I simply want to point out, as we wrap this up before we pray, I simply want to point out that the very first image, that Jesus gives you in these I am statements is bread. Bread. Something that's meant to fill you up. Something that's meant to satisfy you. In other words, Jesus doesn't just want to forgive, he wants to satisfy. That's the first picture he gives of He could have said he could have he could have started with, I'm the way, the truth, and life. But he started with bread. He wants to satisfy. That's why he says in verse thirty five, You'll never be hungry, you'll never be thirsty. But we don't always feel that way. We're honest with ourselves for crying out loud, if you came through last semester in cross culture, we don't feel like that a lot oftentimes we feel far more satisfied with other things than we do with jesus do we not why why are we like that john piper in in this book it's got a new cover now called a hunger for god he famously said this in this book If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for the great. God did not create you for this. There is an appetite for God and it can be awakened. And it can be awakened through reading and thinking deeply on His Word and and doing and obeying what it says and asking God, crying out to God, praying to God to awaken greater and deeper desires and love for Christ in you. If you were here Sunday morning, if we ask, this is what we know, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know that if He hears us, we have what we have asked of Him. That's 1 John 5. If you pray according to His will, He hears you. If He hears you, you have what you asked. If you cry out to Him, God, awaken a greater and deeper love for Christ in my heart. I want to give myself to Your Word. I want to do what Your Word says. Create in me a deeper capacity to love Christ why would he not answer that prayer? Jesus said, if you being evil, know, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father who's in heaven? If your son asked you for uh, a piece of bread, would you give him a stone? If you ask for a fish, would you give him a snake? Y'all don't have kids, hopefully. I do. I wouldn't do that. Why wouldn't God answer that prayer? That can be awakened in your heart. I mean, by the way, commercial. Uh this is a uh, hunger for God by John Piper. It was written before you were born. Most of you, 1997. Who was born 1997 or before? Oh, look at that. A lot of you weren't. I stand. Uh, I still stay by, stand by my statement. Um, this is desiring God through fasting and prayer. Does anybody know what the, um, the theme of secret church is this year? It's fasting and prayer. So here's what I going to say to you guys. This book's only seven chapters. A chapter a week ain't hard. So if you wanted to obtain a copy of this book, it would be stellar to read it prior to Secret Church. And if you started around spring break, you'd have it done. And you could go on Amazon and you could buy this for 14 bucks, But you can have a free PDF of it and read it that way for absolute free. And then you really don't have an excuse not to read it. Um, and uh, we'll probably post that link to the free PDF on the GroupMe or in the email. So just know that. I want to challenge you to do that. I'm going to do it. I've read it before. I'm going to read it again. Starting around spring break, read a chapter a week for seven weeks up into Secret Church, which is at the end of April. I think think Secret Church will be all the richer on fasting and prayer if you've already been deep in this book on fasting and prayer. Um, So just be on the lookout for that. This is how I want us to pray tonight. If we think about the fact that Jesus is the bread of life for us. Think about the background and, the, and then the significance too. We can, we can thank him for saving us. Just, cry, just, just pray, just thank him for saving you. If in fact you're trusting in Christ. How many times did Jesus say, I will raise him up on the last day. Those who come to me, I will raise him up on the last day. He was repetitive with it. Thank him for the rich picture he gives us. Like even that Old Testament events foreshadow what he did for us. He could have just said, hey, he could have just told you plain old sentences. He gave you great pictures of it. Like it's awesome. And that he doesn't just want to forgive you. He wants to satisfy you. Thank you for those things. And ask him to do that work in your heart that we were talking about. We got a smaller room tonight because they got to do something in that small part over there tomorrow. But you can still find room in here I think to to break up in your groups and pray. So um yeah, do that now.